Black True Crime is a podcast that researches and discusses murders committed by Black offenders. It is a podcast that anyone and everyone is welcome to enjoy, but it may not be enjoyed by anyone and everyone, so listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, this is Black True Crime. Do not go gentle into that good night. Hello, everyone. Hey, y'all. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kristen. And this is Black True Crime. If this is your first time here at the show, friend, welcome and hello. Good morning. We are up at the crack of dawn. Crack ass. Trying to record this episode for you guys because yes. we love you so much. Yes, and we're sick of being late, but hey, better late so than true. ever. Right. So excuse the morning voices. Mm-hmm. They're well, deep as hell. Kristen's is. We are, <laughs> we are, I'm excited for this week's case because it's been on my docket for a very long time. And yeah, let's just dive right in. Ooh. 2323 Washington Boulevard was the scene of a crime so shocking and sadistic that it's still to this day considered Utah's most unforgettable mass murder. So join us as we discuss what happened at this address and who was responsible for the hi-fi murders. Thank you to listener Kalisha D for recommending this case. Kalisha. Hey, Kalisha girl. Thank you. All right. So on Monday, we're just going to go straight into the murders because this case is all over the place. So I just found the easiest way for me to go through everything. Mm -hmm. The murders. On Monday, April 22nd, 1974, Five people were taken hostage at the Hi-Fi Audio Shop in Ogden, Utah. Dang. Five Mm -hmm. people? Mm -hmm. 20-year-old Stanley Walker and 18-year-old Sherry Michelle Ainsley were working that night when four men entered the store with the intention of robbing it. They immediately (laughs) took Stanley and Sherry hostage, tied them up, and moved them into the basement. So while this was happening, 16-year-old Courtney Nesbitt entered the store. No, Courtney! 16. Go home! I know. And he was only really there to tell Stanley thank you for letting him park his car in the parking lot. Mm. But he was unfortunately also tied up and taken into the basement. A significant enough amount of time had passed to where Stanley's father and Courtney's mother became worried about their kids and went looking for them at the hi-fi shop. Okay... When they arrived, 43-year-old Oren Walker and 52-year-old Carol Nesbitt were also taken hostage and moved to the basement. Dang! How long did they want to be there? How long does it take to rob a joint? Thank you, Kristen. And that's gonna... We're gonna talk about it. Now remember, there are six men involved with this robbery turned kidnapping. I thought you said four. Four men walked into the store. Oh. There were two vans that they used to get there. And they had getaway drivers, so that's where they were at. Okay. But two of the men stayed upstairs the whole time, and then either they were more focused on making money or tasked with keeping watch. I don't know, but they stayed up there. We're going to come back to the gruesome details of what happened in that basement, but we'll get to that once we reveal who exactly were responsible for what these poor people went through. No way, Kayla. Y'all, so this this case is really bad. It kind of reminds me of the KFC murders. If you guys don't remember us doing that case... Please go take a look at it. I don't remember what episode it was. Uh, But we did it twice. We did it when it was just me, and that is available on Patreon. And then we did it with Kristen. 
I think a couple months ago. I think it's in the 70s, episode 70s. Yeah. Look there. <laughs> Start there because she don't know. Mm-mm. By the time help arrived at the shop, two out of the five victims were pronounced dead at the scene. Oh, no. Yep. Those victims were 20-year-old Stanley Walker and 18-year-old Sherry Michelle Ansley. So they started with them first, clearly. Mm -hmm. The the first two that they took down to the basement. Mm -hmm. And they killed them. They did. They were really just minding their own damn business, and they just happened to die. This is the storefront. This is what the hi-fi shop looked like. Wow. Yep. Carol Nisbet was transported to the hospital, but she still didn't make it. Her son, Courtney, fortunately survived the ordeal, although he suffered from both severe brain damage and chronic pain for the rest of his life. Jeez. So, you know. What did they do to them down there? Tow them up, Kristen. He was only 16. Really fucking sad. And then this is his mom. Oh, Carol. Oh, Carol. Rest in peace, Carol. Rest in peace, Carol. Courtney. Courtney's alive. Oh, shit. Rest in peace, Carol, Sherry, and Stanley. Rest in peace. After the attack, Courtney was in the hospital recovering for almost nine months. So just imagine what trauma his body went through for him to have to be in the hospital for that long. They tore him up. From the rooter to the tutor. We're going to get to it. The other survivor was 43-year-old Oren Walker. He had severe burns in his mouth from something we're going to talk about. And he also had some major eardrum damage. And we're going to talk about that, too. But he's alive. Yes. Thank God. Mm -hmm. And despite the awful things the killers did to him, he was able to survive and would, spoiler alert, later testify against them. Period. Good for you, Orrin. And y'all, this man went through so much. All after the death of his son. Like, he had to witness his son being killed. And then he was still alive and... All this stuff happened to him. We're gonna Traumatizing. Get to it. Yes. The literal worst thing that could ever happen. So once the terrible deeds were done, the killers escaped in nearby vans where two of their accomplices, we already talked about, were waiting. About three hours later, Oren Walker's wife and other son came to the store looking for him and Stanley. And that's when they saw what happened to their loved ones. Wow. So they literally found the bodies. So Oren... At this point, mm-hmm. is still there mm-hmm. fighting for his freaking life mm-hmm. and had to wait three hours until his wife happened to come by. Wife and son, yes. My God. The horror. Eventually, police were called, and that's when everybody and their mama started to show up at the scene. According to a forensic crime scene specialist named George Throckmorton. Mm-mm. Good Lord. I won't be saying that again. This is what he saw when he got to the scene. Quote, when I got there, there was a man with a pin stuck in his ear running around. Running around? Yes. Oren. Kristen, Oren's a survivor. He's not going to give up. Period. He's a survivor. And he's going to work harder. <laughs> and he's running around, what, trying to find evidence? No, bitch. I don't know, freaking losing out. Losing his mind? Losing his fucking mind. My God. He was describing, like we said, Oren Walker, who, after being shot... In the head, poisoned and strangled. Yeah. Oh, he's a survivor, all right. Yeah. Had his attackers, well, he didn't make them, but his attackers shoved a pin in his ear and stomped on it, forcing it like into his head and it came out his throat. (gasps) Kristen. What era are we in? This is horror film type stuff. Fucking snuff film dark shit. 
Kayla came out of his neck. Yes. From his throat. And he's alive. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. George went on to describe what he saw when he walked inside. Quote, the first thing we noticed was there were four people down there who had been tied up. Their feet had been also tied up, with the exception of the one girl who had been raped and killed. End quote. Disgusting men. So, yep. We're talking about 18-year-old Sherry, the bombshell. She was hot. Poor Sherry. Like, you guys you guys are gross. Just because someone Fucking has a, foul. a vagina, you want to take advantage of it? Like, and, ew. And all of this started with just trying to rob the hi-fi shop. Y'all niggas wasn't just trying to rob. No. The minute y'all took them to the basement, y'all knew, knew what, was, what was going mm-hmm. down. And if you think this case can't get any more demented, it can't. According to George, quote, they were given Drano. And when the people in the basement found out it didn't kill them because they got sick and threw up, they gave them Drano again and put tape over their mouths so they couldn't throw up. And when that didn't happen, they went around and started shooting them. So you have killers, not robbers, no, killers yeah, that are experimenting on how to kill. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you find out where they even got this fucking Drano idea, you're going to be like, this is... How old are these people? Uh-oh. Just immature. Uh-huh. You know, just... Ugh, I'm not going to spoil it. We're going to get to it. But what the fuck? Child, I wasn't ready for this this morning. I know. I didn't even warn you. Sorry. So basically, they tried to kill them with poisonous Drano. And when that didn't work, all, all it did was like burn their mouths and their esophaguses mm. and put like sores, you know, all over their faces. And when they put the tape on their mouths, the tape wouldn't even stick. Because the sores were oozing so much. Oh, my God. You're turning these people into real-life horror characters. Mm-hmm. Imagine, like, screaming. Because you know you're, these people are screaming. Yeah. You know they're in pain. Crazy amounts of pain. And they're just watching. Wow. Ugh, fuck. So imagine something like this happening in a little comfy town like Ogden. Ogden, bitch, ain't nothing going on. Nothing like this ever happened in their, the history of that damn town. Basically, everyone knew each other, and the city was freaking the fuck out when they found out what happened. Everyone was scared, and the police made it their number one priority to find out what happened that night. I bet you they know them killers, too. No, they don't. That's the thing. They were saying, like, locals were like, nobody in Ogden would do this. Whoever did this is not from here. And they knew that off rip. Yes, and they were right. Okay. Now, let's talk about the victims a little bit. 18-year-old Sherry Michelle Ainsley was born on January 24th, 1956, and she'd only been working at the hi-fi shop for like a week before she was killed. Jeez, Sherry. She was recently engaged to be married and was scheduled to get married just four months after she lost her life. That is so stinking sad. You can't make this stuff up. It's It's too terrible. This is nowhere near fiction. Rest in peace, Sherry. Rest in peace, Sherry. 16-year-old Byron Courtney Nesbitt was born on September 25th, 1957, and although he didn't die from the attack, he suffered severely and for the rest of his life. He was able to graduate high school in 1976, which was two years after the attacks, Mm -hmm. but he had to drop out of college due to his amnesia and just like literal brain damage. Yeah, I mean, he couldn't do it. It was too much for him. Can you imagine not only going through something like that in high school, where you're Mm -hmm. already like trying to figure out life, Mm -hmm. and then it stunts the rest of your life? Yeah. I have a grudge. Just thinking about it. I have a grudge for Courtney. 
Even if Courtney doesn't have one, I have <laughs> that part. He wasn't really able to work either, so he ended up living off of Social Security assistance. But on November 15th, 1985, Courtney married a woman named Catherine Hunter. Okay. So he was still able to have like a relatively normal life. I'm telling you, love just heals. Mm-hmm. There's love for everyone. Shout out to Catherine for I mending know. Courtney's heart. Hopefully. I know, right? Hopefully it was a good one. Rest in peace to Courtney. Carol, Elaine. Courtney is not dead. Why do I keep fucking thinking he's dead? <laughs> I don't know. His well, daddy? He's His dead. Mama. He's dead now. Well, yeah. Spoiler alert. So maybe that's why I keep saying that. Okay. Okay. We'll get to it. Okay. He old, right? No, he wasn't that old. We'll get to it. Carol Elaine Nesbitt was born on Christmas Day in 1921. She went to the University of Utah and Utah State University. So she was a, you know, scholastic woman. Is that a word? Yeah. Okay. She was a member of the LSD church. So she was a Mormon. Oh, Mm -hmm. Carol. She was a member of the Weber County Medical Auxiliary. I don't know what that is. I didn't look it up. Mm-hmm. And the Junior League of August. So she was a busy woman. She stayed involved in her community. Period. So rest in peace to Carl. Rest in peace, Carol. 20-year-old Stanley Oren Walker was born on March 19, 1954. He attended Weber State College in 1973, and he was a member of the LSD Church as well. Mormon. Yes. And he was even a basketball coach for a little while. Oh, cute. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Mormons. Hello. Hi, Mormons. I've never met a black Mormon. Do y'all exist? Uh, I know of one on Love After Lockup. Oh. That's like all I know. They do exist, though. Period. And you know, in Utah, Utah's like the hub for Mormon mm-hmm. people. Rest in peace to... Carol. Stanley. And Carol. And, yeah. And then 42-year-old Orrin Walker was born on September 17th, 1930, and was the father of Stanley. So, didn't find too much on him, but either way, his life was taken? No, he's alive. Kristen, why do I keep doing this? <laughs> I don't know. Because I know that these people are dead now. But they're not dead at that time. But they're point. not dead at this time. I'm sorry, Orrin. Orrin, you are a survivor. Mm-hmm. My God. And he did not give up. Period. So with everyone being so paranoid and scared came a break in the case. Relatively quickly, too. I read that it was just a few hours later that the police got a tip from Hill Air Force Base, which was located not too far from Ogden. Okay. Two teenagers said that they'd found a wallet and some other personal belongings in a dumpster at Hill Air Force Base that belonged to some of the victims. How? How did they get on the base? Well, you know, people live on the base civilians, not civilians, but family members of active duty members. Okay. So investigators quickly headed out there to search the area and the dumpster. But they also paid attention to who was in the crowd because because there was a good chance that they could find out who they were looking for. Period. Especially with it being such like a close knit area and with five people being attacked and almost murdered. I mean, it's everybody's going to be there. Mm hmm. And I understand why the locals did not said that nobody in Ogden would do this, mm-hmm. but little did they know somebody on that base, someone mm-hmm. they don't know could have. Mm-hmm. And this technique actually fucking worked. So most people in the crowd, when a piece of evidence was like pulled out of the dumpster, they would just, you know, look and be like, wow, oh my gosh. But there were two men in the crowd that weren't reacting the same. Mm -hmm. They were both pacing back and forth, being like animated with their hand movements, kind of seeming like they were having a heated conversation. Mm -hmm. 
while talking loud as hell. <laughs> Strike one. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, one of these men's supervisors called in a tip saying that he'd been hanging out with the two guys that night before the murders. And he and the guys are watching a movie called Magnum Force. Is that like a violent movie? I didn't even bother looking it up. It's old as hell. No shade. (laughs) But in the movie, a woman is forced to drink Drano, which instantly killed her. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. He also claimed that a man named William Andrews literally told him months earlier that, quote, one of these days I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anybody gets in the way, I'm going to kill him. Mm, well, there you have it, folks. Right. We found one of the killers. This is why people got to just stop saying <laughs> shit. You just can't say whatever you're thinking because, I mean, if someone said this to me, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to do it, right? Am I crazy for thinking that? Or even if you're like, mm, they playing, y'all talk too much, but you playing. And then three months later, four months later, it happens. Mm-hmm. I know who I'm pointing my finger at. But I also feel a little responsible because... I don't talk to people that joke about committing mass murders. I don't know. For me, that type of shit isn't funny. And we see it all the time, like, on crime shows. Oh, he told me he was going to kill my husband. (laughs) But I didn't believe him. I thought he was just joking. You know, like, let's let's fucking have some decorum in the way that we speak. Let's take some responsibility for some shit. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. The guy then said, so the guy that was giving the tip, then said he overheard the men talking about a future robbery they planned to commit. So all of this is coming together, Kristen. People are listening. If you don't think people are listening, they're listening to your business. People are nosy. (laughs) If you want to get away with a crime, shut the fuck up. (laughs) This is that simple. Yeah. And then not to mention that the dumpster was located very close to where Dale's barracks were. Okay. So just didn't give anyone much room to say this wasn't them wow and then Kristen, on top of that dale was actually a suspect in another murder my god yeah yeah so was dale like a family member of someone on the air force no dale was actually an active member at the time as well so we're gonna we're gonna talk about these motherfuckers but yeah air force you guys have a stain on your ledger Girl, you think the Air Force has it? The Army today. Oh, I'm sure. That's why I'm like what? shocked about the Air Force. You don't really hear a lot coming from them. It's true. You definitely hear Army stuff going on. True. Even Marines, no shade. No shade. Sorry, Terrell. Raw. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you guys think that this is just a coincidence, the investigators don't. And they got a search warrant to search Dale's barracks room. Period. According to George, quote, As I went to lift up the carpet, between the carpet and the padding, there was a folded piece of paper. And as I opened the paper, it was a lease agreement of a storage unit that was about one block from the hi-fi shop. And Dale Pierre had signed it. Wee! And why are you hiding that under your carpet? Because it was just innocent. If I just have a storage unit. That part. Why is it hiding? Because it wasn't innocent. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I'm like, damn, Dale, you're going to jail. (laughs) While the search... While the search warrant was being executed, the police had Dale in custody, and apparently he was talking nonstop. About what? I don't know, Kristen. Popping off of the mouth, but he wasn't snitching on himself at all. Wasn't saying that he had anything to do with it. But when George came up to him and showed him the lease agreement, he, quote, shut his mouth and never spoke another word. (laughs) You're going to jail, Dale. 
Dale, Dale, you're not a dummy. Mm. You're not a dummy to this to the point of like, ooh, stitching on itself. You know, I'm not gonna say another motherfucking word. And this is Dale. Look at Dale, looking black as hell. <laughs> Oh, Dale. Girl, forehead on a fucking football field. No shade. Dale, come on, man. What you mm. killing folks for? You had a good job in the force. He didn't want that job no more. They were apparently about to let his ass go. Like they started the paperwork of getting him out. Yeah, because he was already suspect for another murder. He was, and we're going to talk about that. Authorities then got a warrant to search the storage unit Dale had rented, and they found the audio equipment that had been stolen, as well as the half-empty bottle of Drano. Mm, mm, so they took the Drano from the scene, but we know that they brought it. So I'm just going to tell you guys now. They brought the Drano with them. They try to act like, oh, no, I just saw it in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. No, bitch. They brought it with them. Intent. Yes, because they planned on killing these folk. There we go. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about these killers. So you're probably like, who the hell is Dale? And who is William? Well, Dale Sel- Selby Pierre was born in 1952 in Trinidad and Tobago. Mm. When he was 17 years old, he relocated to Brooklyn, New York with his family. Shout out to Brooklyn. Shout out to Brooklyn. That was such a fun show. So fun. According to Dale, who, by the way, didn't talk to anyone about his upbringing publicly for almost 10 years after his arrest. If you watched the show Violent Minds, it was season one, episode three. He's in there talking about his upbringing a little bit. But it took this one investigator guy, I mean, years and years and years of writing this man, talking to this man before he was like, "Okay, I'm ready to talk about it. Wow. What happened? Not too much. I mean, not, not to say not too much, but. His childhood was hard and Dale was so secluded. Like he was defined as a loner, textbook Mm. loner. So I'm not surprised he wasn't talking to anybody. Mm. He said that when he was growing up, his mother was really abusive to him. He didn't really see a lot of love. So for him, it was like violence was normal for him. Okay. And he learned that at a very early age. Yeah, that'll change a person's mental. Mm Mm-hmm. Four years later, so four years after he turned 17, in May 1973, and less than one year before the murders, Dale enlisted in the Air Force. Okay. By September of that year, he'd been transferred to Hill Air Force Base to work as a helicopter mechanic. Period. Mm -hmm. He must have been some type of smart. They taught him a skill. Yeah, you got to take a test to get in the Air Force, so he must have been some type of smart. The Air Force isn't easy to get into. Mm -mm. I don't know if things changed, but... At least that's what I know about it now. And while he was in the military, people that worked with Dale said that, like I said, he was a complete and utter loner. Like he would eat and drink the same exact thing every single day and sat by himself and everything. And they almost never saw him with anyone. And some of the people even said they were scared of him. Wow. Mm -hmm. Why would they let this guy in? (laughs) Uh, Maybe he passed the psyche valve. Yeah. Because... As we know, a lot of fucking cops pass that shit, and they shouldn't. That's true. He slipped through the cracks. Exactly. Now, William met Dale in the dorms on Hill Air Force Base, and the two were basically complete opposites. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you William. This is a picture of him after he's already been arrested. Wow. Mm -hmm. These are black Air Force men, by the way. Yes, they're black as hell. Like, not skin color, but like just straight up black. Black. You know? Causing a muckus, a ruckus. Went to the whitest town they could. Killed 
tried to kill five white people. This is not going to go well. What were they thinking? Bitch, I don't know. We're going to get to it. William was described as being really sweet and fun. He was easy to talk to and someone literally said he was, quote, such a nice guy. Hmm. They said that about Ted Bundy, too. Oh. I didn't find too much about his upbringing, though, which made me sad because, you know, I like to know, know everything about what they've experienced and been through. But it is what it is. And then there was one more person that police had on the hook for the murder, and it was 19-year-old Keith Leon Roberts. So this is Keith. Dang, Keith. Mm-hmm. You young. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he's, so he's a part of the Air Force as well. I didn't see that he was a part of the Air Force. Okay. Great question. But, yeah, he somehow knew them mm-hmm. and was a part of this. He was born on January 5th, 1954, and he was actually married at the time of the murders. So he was super young, but he had been married for two years by that time. He's married to a woman named Lexine Paula Thomas. Don't know how long that lasted (laughs) because he went to jail. Spoiler alert. Good. So Dale was arrested and charged with three aggravated murders and two attempted murders. And then he was charged with like robbery charges too. get him for it all. He was only 21 at this time. What were you thinking, Dale? What happened? Did you snap? Threw his life away. William Andrews was charged with relatively the same. He was 19 when this all went down. And Keith Roberts, the getaway driver, was also charged with murder, but would later only be convicted of the robbery charge. Okay. Yeah. So they ended up trying them all together. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Which is very unusual. Yeah. Especially in a case like this. And also what really made me sick is that remember there were three other people that were supposed to be involved in this crime. They were never caught. There was never any evidence that could bring them at least enough evidence to bring charges against them. And I don't even think these men even mentioned their names. So they weren't snitches. Right. Because Keith was definitely given snitch if he only got charged for the robbery charge. I was was thinking that. Yeah. Wow. But he took it to trial. Yep. Yep. And then even when... I was looking up, you know, like what happened in, as part of the investigation. Even when they were questioned, they never snitched on each other. They never admitted that they were involved. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was back when the military was like, you see something, you do not say nothing. Yeah. So maybe they learned to be quiet from and them. From them. Terrible. Terrible, Kristen. It's horrible. Every fucking institution this country has created is corrupt. I'll Period. say it again. okay so this is really sad so here's Mm -hmm. what really happened on the terrible day of the hi-fi murders keith dale and william showed up at the hi-fi shop obviously with the other guys too we just don't know who the fuck they were Mm -hmm. keith stayed upstairs during the two hour ordeal kristen they were in that bitch for two hours doing what they did wow that's disgusting And Dale and William were the two that were responsible for the torture of all five victims and the murders of three. So according to investigators on the case, William was the one that planned everything, but Dale was the one that made sure it happened. So William, the sweet guy, Mm -hmm. was the one who planned it all, and Dale, the quiet one, was the executor. Correct. But according to William and Dale later on, it's never going to be prove it neither one of them is going to say hey i did this and he did this it's always kind of pointing the finger at the other one doesn't surprise me so they were so you're saying that they were snitching on each other they basically were pointing the when it was far too late and Mm -hmm. we're gonna get to it they were basically saying he did it he did it he did it Mm. (laughs) i had no idea 
Mm. So fucking dumb. But not surprising. No, at all. Self-preservation. So Dale got the idea, like I said, about the Drano from that movie Magnum Force. (laughs) And to convince the victims to drink it, he told them it was a mixture of vodka and sleeping pills. Mm. But Carol was, you know, a Mormon. She didn't drink. So she was like, "Uh, I'm not drinking this. Even with her life being threatened, she was not going to drink it. Period, Carol. You have a standard. You Mm -hmm. knew what was going down. Mm Mm-hmm. She was like, listen, I'm going to be my maker. I ain't going to be meeting them drunk. (laughs) So, you know, that's when they forced them to drink it and put the tape over their mouths and everything. Wow. And obviously it didn't work. So Dale decided instead to shoot the victims one at a time in the head. Carol and Courtney were injured by the shots, but didn't die. Dale shot at Oren, but missed. Then he fatally shot Stanley in the head before going back to shoot his father. Oren. Yes. And then this bullet grazed the side of Oren's head. I don't know if it like went into his head, but mm-hmm. it made contact. Mm-hmm. And Oren was able to kind of, you know, fake, fake that he was. That he got hit. Exactly. And Oren was really smart because he also pretended to drink the Drano. So he like let the Drano sit in his mouth, but wasn't swallowing it and kind of just let it fall out on the sides. And that's why he had so many sores in his mouth. Yeah. he All of them had sores in their mouth, but he, I guess, was able to not be fully poisoned because mm-hmm. obviously the Drano didn't kill all of them. But with everything that he went through, I'm sure it would have been even worse if he had swallowed it. Oh, my God. A hundred percent. Sherry was forced to watch her friends be brutally shot before she was taken to another part of the basement, forced to undress and was raped by Dale. <sighs> Dale, you sick bastard. Sick piece of shit. It's like you've been waiting. Like, all this stuff has been in your mind while you're not talking to anybody while you're being a loner. Yeah. He's been enacted it. He's been thinking about how he could do something like this and get away with it. Yuck. Dale told William to go somewhere else for 30 minutes while this was happening. Mm hmm. Like, so that means that part, that wasn't part of the plan. No, it wasn't. Or maybe it was. Hmm. I mean, I I don't think they ever knew who to expect to be there, right? They could have assaulted Carol, but they didn't. Right. They probably assaulted Sherry because she was young and pretty. Right. So that part may have been just opportunity. Do we know if William assaulted her? William did not. Okay. No, it was just Dale's piece of shit ass. Nasty ass. Mm Mm-hmm. Full transparency, you guys, I am so excited about this week's sponsor because it has to do with my favorite place in the world to be, and that's my bed. (laughs) I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but if you haven't, let me put you on. Miracle Made creates bed sheets that have self-cooling properties that are inspired by what's actually being used by NASA, which is crazy. These sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you can sleep better every single night. And with being pregnant, I'm like always hot and I'm always cold and I just can't get comfortable in my bed. Well, Miracle Made makes it a lot easier for me. You have to try them. And not only are they thermoregulating, they're also self-cleaning. These sheets are infused with silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So if you're a person that already struggles to wash your sheets enough times a month, 
this is going to make it so much easier for you guys. It's amazing. I've got me a pair and I love it. And if you guys want to try them out, go to trymiracle.com slash crime. You'll save 40% on your order. And if you use our code crime at checkout, you'll get three free towels and then you save an extra 20%. My mind is fucking blown. You have to take advantage of this because a part of protecting your peace and your space is protecting your sleep. <laughs> so again, if you want to save crazy money, and try out these amazing sheets, visit trymiracle.com slash crime and use our code to get a free three-piece towel set and save an extra 20%. Invest in your sleep. Alrighty, back to the episode. After the rape, he let her use the bathroom while he watched and while she was still naked. Just, ugh, the dehumanization going on. The devil. Yeah, the devil is here. So he took her back over to where the others were and then he shot her in the back of the head as well. My God, Kayla. Yep. And according to her killers, Sherry's last words, I'm sorry, I don't even think it was according to the killers. I think it was according to Oren, who Mm -hmm. witnessed all of this. Sherry's last words were, quote, I'm too young to die. (laughs) Sherry? Sherry, you were too young to die. And in such a fucking horrible, painful, unimaginable way. I mean, Dale was cold with yeah. it. Yeah. Dale was really sick. Ruthless. Watch out for the loners. There's not always something wrong with being a loner. However, you may not have those people skills that you need to actually be able to empathize with people and not murder them. Yeah. And, like, also, loners for years, like, your whole track record, people know you to have not messed with people. Right. That's a red flag. And mm-hmm. if you are that type of person, just be open to meeting different types of people. There is someone out there that is like you. I bet money on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like you, maybe in certain ways, you know? Being alone can, I think, dehumanize you a little bit if you're alone too, too much. Or cause you to dehumanize others. 110%. So Dale was honestly pissed off that Oren was still alive because everyone else is like motionless, but Oren's still over here breathing. Mm. So they decided to try to finish him off by strangling him. But that didn't work either. You better go ahead, Oren. Oren said, not today, bitch. You're thick neck ass. Not today, Satan. Period. Their final attempt was the pen. They put the pen in his ear and Dale was the one that stomped on it. Golly. Yep. The killers then fled the scene in the two vans they pulled up in and took about $24,000 worth of equipment with them. Mm-hmm. Insane. And so they it, are robbers, but they're yeah. killers first. Oh, yeah. They did rob the place. And then I don't know if I mentioned this already, but they did go to the storage unit that the men owned and found out that all of the equipment was there. Yep, you mentioned it. <laughs> found all the fucking equipment. They're Including idiots. the Drano. Including the Drano. You're going to jail. Trials started in October of 1974, and the DA decided to try all three men together, like we already talked about. And with the testimony of Oral Walker, Courtney wasn't able to testify. He couldn't do it because of his amnesia. Mm. So I don't even think he remembered all the things that he needed to. Wow. Yeah. But it's okay, because Oral. Oren. Oral. Oren. 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 Oren Walker. Oral. That's right. Where did I get that from? Why did I type that? I I wrote these notes really fucking late. Okay. He'll change his name. Sorry. Oral. Oren. (laughs) Okay. I don't have time for this. We don't have time to have fun. Started it. I know. 
So with Oren testifying, plus the evidence and the facts, it was revealed in court that the two men had planned to not only rob the hi-fi shop, but to kill anyone who was there. Mm. Well, that fits. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's what their supervisor said that William told him months before it even happened. Mm -hmm. In fact, the purpose of them watching the Magnum movie so many times was to get an idea of how they could kill their victims while making the least amount of mess. Mm. that was their goal they wanted to get it over and done with quick and easy okay that's obviously not what happened no it's not what happened Mm -mm. you played out a fantasy dale Mm -hmm. you piece of shit a jury decided that since keith had no parts in the actual torture and murder part of the robbery he was only convicted of robbery and was sentenced to five years to life damn but he ended up spending a little over 10 years in jail Mm -hmm. and then he was paroled in 1987 and you better not do it again he doesn't that we know of bitch we he probably didn't get caught so he lived out a good amount of his life we're mm-hmm. going to talk about how his life ended later okay dale and william however weren't so lucky dale was found guilty on all three counts of murder um and both men were found guilty of robbery and murder and both men were sentenced to death period give him the chat you know and i know the united states is pissed because you stained the air force's name like both of y'all niggas did Mm -hmm. so yeah they're taking you to the chair they need to get rid of you asap oh yeah and then you know in this time frame there's probably going to be a little racism involved because this is america Mm -hmm. after the men were sentenced to death there was a huge issue within the city and the surrounding areas because many people saw the case as having racism written all over it At the time of the trial, in a case dealing with all white victims, the men faced an all-white jury. Mm, That's foul. Mm -hmm. And there was, like, one black guy that was supposed to be on the jury, but he was excused because he knew too many people involved in the case. He was actually, like, a police commissioner or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And as time went on, he actually really rose in ranks out there. But they said, hey, you were too close to this case. You had to go. Okay. They couldn't find another black person? Or at least two more? You know, but it is what it is. It doesn't surprise me. And after the shitty ass verdict that the Rodney King case had just received not too long ago, Mm. organizations like the NAACP and Amnesty International, we talked about them last Mm -hmm. week. Shout out to Nigeria. Hey. Came to the aid of both Dale and William, claiming that their death sentences should be commuted to life. Whatever. Look, Mm -hmm. let me tell you something. I understand (laughs) wanting the judicial process to go how it should go. Mm -hmm. Like NAACP, yes, you should step in for that. Mm -hmm. All-white jury, absolutely not. Don't play with me. Right. But their sentence for me is justified. Mm -hmm. And also, Kayla, we don't talk about a lot of all-white victim cases. I don't think so. Not many. No, not many. many. Mm -mm. But in this case, they had a leg to stand on as far as like the angry the people being angry at this case when the, the angry pub- white mob no the angry black mob <laughs> <laughs> when the public found out that the killers were black the profiling went to a whole new level mm. people were being pulled over for no reason at all other than being black so they're obviously you know like damn can you hide your racism a little bit like damn bitch if you got them in custody or whatever why are we what still being chastised right. why is this still a thing and then you're basically saying like all black people are the same all Mm -hmm. black people deserve to be what Mm -hmm. killers robbers nah chill out right during the trial a handwritten note was found in the jury area that said quote hang the uh -uh, the n-words with the hard r 
Yeah. But somehow a mistrial was not called after that happened, nor did a proper questioning even take place to find out which juror it was. Wow. So that's what I'm saying. They're giving them reasons to think this is based on racism because despite how horrific these murders were and how these killers do deserve capital punishment, the way that you guys went about doing this and trying this case was fucked up. This is America. This is America. Although Dale stopped talking when it came to the investigation, he had quite a bit to say at a commutation hearing in 1987. Mm -hmm. And a commutation hearing is basically held when someone is trying to get their sentence commuted. What does commuted mean? Oh, so (laughs) (laughs) Dale had been sentenced to death. He was trying to do whatever he could to avoid that damn needle. Okay. And he wanted life. Okay. According to Dale's own mouth, quote, I just continued shooting. I figured I had shot Nesbitt, so I just started shooting everybody else. When I was using the bathroom, I saw the Drano in there. I remember the noise they were making, the sound of pain, really. The crime took a course of its own. It wasn't planned that way. People kept coming in, and I just panicked. The only way to prevent what happened was to have been moved away from the Air Force entirely. Bullshit. That's me saying bullshit, not him. Mm -hmm. Of course, the alcohol and the pills I was consuming didn't help. Volumes, reds, black beauties, and yellow jackets. Everyone has a limit beyond which they won't go. Drugs, etc. can alter that limit. I tell myself, you have to accept responsibility for it. You did it. You were there. You can't rationalize it. No. I mean, no, it's very rational. One plus one equals two. You did it. Mm-hmm. And now you go to jail. You wanted to do it. So you did it. And now you are facing the chair. I mean, the only thing I agree with him on is the fact that the drugs that he took probably did allow him to do things that he wouldn't have done if he was off of them. But the thing is, we hadn't heard about these drugs this whole time. I know. Till just now. Till literally just now. So that's why I'm like, you're full of shit. But I figured he had them because, well, he tried to tell the, the victims, hey, mm-hmm. drink this Drano because it's a combination of volume and pain, pain pills or sleep pills. Oh, or alcohol and right, pills. Right. So I assume from that statement, you're even though that. he lied, mm-hmm. he did have some some, familiar, some familiarity with drugs. drugs. Mm-hmm. Huh. You you could say that, but do I think he was high when this was happening and taking all them damn pills? I don't. I find it hard to believe. Mm-hmm. Dale also claimed that he had a strict upbringing and was getting back to his roots. He'd now given his life to God and was a changed man. Mm. At the time of the trial? So this is 13 years after the, the murders. Okay. He's been in prison okay. and now he's trying to get his life. Assist. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's trying to save his own life. Orrin Walker, however, did not agree and testify at that hearing. Ooh, mm-hmm. still alive. Orrin's still alive. Oh, yeah. If you did that to me, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you don't see the light of day. Yeah. If it was up to me, you'd be in the dirt. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Orrin called Dale a satist and said, quote, after he shot Miss Nesbitt first, he was kind of prancing or walking in a manner that I got the impression he was kind of enjoying what he was doing. Wow. This has been hard for me. It's hard for me to believe that I was ever involved with this. My son Stanley's life was taken with two shots and Drano. He tried five different times to kill me. Each one could have been lethal. It certainly has changed our lives. Like, why are we even talking about commuting anything? He, to like, for what? He did it. The sheer violence behind this, if he was ever to be let go, ever to be given this opportunity again... I don't put it past Dale Pierre. 
But the thing that's frustrating for me is like, okay, you take a person that was so grotesque and violating, Mm -hmm. put them in prison, and they don't do no more crap. You know, they don't mess with nobody. They just do their sentence, and then they want to be commuted to life instead of death. But it's like, you still did those things when you were free. Mm -hmm. So just because you acting right now because you locked up, that doesn't change what you did. Right. And even with the racism aspect of this, I feel like I understand where they're coming from in the sense of saying, damn, why were the cops involved in killing Rodney King able to get off literally with fucking no punishment, but these men have to be put to death. It's like, there has to be accountability, and I hope they're holding them accountable for saying, hey, you shouldn't have fucking done this. But also, the way that the justice system is working is completely fucked up. And they know it's it's in favor of one and being completely against and kind of going after the other. Yeah. So, you know, I understand. I completely fucking understand. I understand, too. It sucks that Mm -hmm. the time and place of racism was still strong. Yeah. And they felt like they needed to stick up for these black men. But unfortunately, these black men did not deserve sticking up for in the sense of they committed the crime. Exactly. Oren described how his younger son at that time was sleeping on the room on a mattress on the floor and was scared to death to go into the basement of the house. And that his wife spends most of her time, quote, in bed trying to forget. And this was like 13 years after the murders happened. The trauma is just, it's unfucking real And you gotta remember, they went there and saw oh, yeah. what happened. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's next level shit. The jury decided to uphold the death sentence verdict, and Dale was put to death by the state of Utah on August 27th, shout out to Kristen's birthday, Ooh. 1987, making him the first person in Utah history to be executed by lethal injection. Wow. Mm-hmm. He was only 34 years old at the time. My God, Dale. Yeah. Did he have any last words? Oh, we're going to get to it. Mm. He was said to have spent most of his time reading his Bible and praying in the days leading up to his execution. According to reports before his death, he asked that the $29 he had left on his commissary be transferred to William. Ah, his one friend in the entire world. Still cool, William. They didn't stitch on each other Mm. until it was too late. Right. (laughs) (laughs) He refused the last meal. He decided to just fast and pray. Wow. Yeah. And when asked if he had any last words, Dale replied, quote, thank you. I just want to say my prayers. And then he was also heard to have said, I'll be glad when this is all over. Okay, yeah, because you need to be apologizing, too. I don't care how saved you are, sanctified you are now. I know. You still did it. Right. And I'm going to question all of that in a second. and You're going to question it, too. Okay. William Andrews, however, was still fighting for his life in court and would be for at least another five years. He did an interview in 1992 where he said, quote, I am very ashamed with my participation in the crime. I feel a lot of remorse for the victims and family members of the victims. Do you, William? Because it was your plan. Gosh, but gosh. This wouldn't happen, William, if you didn't open your fat mouth. You know what I'm saying? And say, hey, I have an idea. The sweet one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but she wasn't so sweet. Mm -mm. But he also pointed out the fact that the death penalty unfairly targets black people, saying, quote, There are numerous instances that came after me that were perpetrated by white people. And in some cases, a lot of cases, first degree murder wasn't even asked for. And why not? It's true. It is true. I just don't like the fact that it's like, well, someone else did it and they got away with it. Why can't I? I That's the only aspect that irritates me because I feel like it's a lack of accountability. But 
it's still fucking true. It's like tagging a true thing that we need mm-hmm. to address and, mm-hmm. and attaching it to something mm-hmm. that is inherently not right. Yeah. And it seemed like a lot of people in the community agreed with what William said and supported his life being commuted or his sentence being commuted to life because he technically didn't kill anyone, right? He didn't shoot them, mm. you know? So they were like, if he wasn't the person that pulled the trigger, he shouldn't be facing the death penalty. Okay. Stephen Hawkins, who was a lawyer for the NAACP and worked on Andrew's case, stated, quote, I've never seen such a raw case of racism. All right, Steven. Yes, the fuck you have. Right. Let's stop. Let's stop with the dramatics. But I get it. Like, I get it. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're in that era. Everywhere you look is freaking racism, bias. Everywhere you look. So you start to get cold to the shit to Mm -hmm. to just start saying, look, racism is everywhere Mm -hmm. behind every corner. But. But people are like that now. Like, I can't go on Instagram and see something happen to a white person that's bad or like, you know horrific without one of our you know one of our people in the comments well i'm just happy they weren't black or you know it's it's fucking sick it's like they're a person and it doesn't matter what race they are it's 20 fucking 23 as black people i don't think we should be perpetrating more prejudice or racism you know people shouldn't be killed or murdered regardless of what fucking race they are period like let's let's take responsibility for how we fucking talk Yep, I agree 100%. We shouldn't be as bad as the people that we're claiming are bad to us. Yeah, you know what I'm don't, saying? Don't, don't become the racist. Exactly. Even though racism is systemic, whatever. Don't become the hateful, prejudiced people that we despise so much. Yeah. William's lawyers also argue that he was only 19 at the time of the murders, and that's one of the reasons his sentence deserves to be commuted. And they also brought up how he was on drugs at the time, which, again, shouldn't matter because it was his choice to take the drugs and, and he, that makes him still responsible for what he did on the drugs. And he planned this entire thing before he was on drugs. Exactly. I don't know what the fuck his defense was doing. They were doing their best. They were trying, trying to save his life. Mm-hmm. But this man planned these murders and had been thinking about it for at least a couple months. And even said it out of his mouth and there's witness statements exactly. to prove that. Right. They tried to say he was a changed man, but according to prison records, he had so many fucking write-ups, Kristen, from possession of drugs and alcohol to creating shivs, mm. starting fires, even assaulting guards. But you ain't changed. No. He is who he is. He's a master manipulator. Yeah. And he's going to do what he wants to do. Mm, mm, mm. So the judge didn't buy it, and his sentence was never commuted, and he too died by lethal injection on July 30th, 1992. Wow. After appealing his case for over 18 years, he was fighting for a long ass time. To the nail. Mm-hmm. He was almost 40 years old when he died. His last meal was a banana split that he shared with his sister and niece. And at his execution, one of the last things he said was, quote, thank those who tried so hard to keep me alive. I hope they continue to fight for equal justice after I'm gone. Tell my family goodbye and I love them. End quote. Okay. Bye. Like that's should have thought about that. That's something that, like, okay, you still didn't apologize, but mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. At least you were like, thank you know, you appreciative took, yeah, to the yeah. people who were trying their right. best to do you right. Right. He was said to have been blowing kisses to his aunts while mouthing the word "I love you" literally while the lethal dose was being administered. Wow. Yeah, they said that he was kind of jovial and upbeat. Mm-hmm. 
on the slab as he's being killed it was kind of unnerving Mm -hmm. but i don't know once you make peace with what's going to happen to you and also it helps to be a fucking psychopath it doesn't surprise me that he wasn't too sad about it i was thinking he was doing it for his his, the little baby girl that was there his Mm -hmm. niece Mm -hmm. like trying to make her feel more like comfortable possible but damn the last moments of your life you're kikiing i don't know it's really trying to figure out why aren't these people apologizing for what they did but maybe that's a little bit of like the environment too mm-hmm. you know so much hate from white people i'm yeah. about to see her and apologize for killing them exactly because like, i you know i am responsible for taking the lives of a few they're responsible for taking lives of many, many. so mm. doesn't make it right but no. i get the logic mm-hmm. In 1996, after Williams' death, the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights announced that they believed William did not get a fair trial and that it was specifically due to racial discrimination. So this is four years after he's already been dead. Oh, mm-hmm. well, what, what you gonna do about now? I know. I also want to mention, though, that these men weren't apparently liked in prison. They were actually hated. There was a murderer named Gary Gilmore that was on death row too. And while he was being wheeled to the place where he was going to take his last breath, because he was going to be executed by firing squad. Ooh, fucking crazy. Dude. Right. He said to Dale and William quote, I'll see you in hell, Pierre and Andrews. (laughs) Good God. What happened? The evil. I don't know. I was like, let me look into Gary Gilmore. Was he right? Can we cover him because this man sounds fucking crazy. And then y'all know how Keith Roberts was paroled in 1987. We talked about him. Mm-hmm. Well, he killed himself on August 8th, 1992, almost a week after Williams was killed. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Why did he kill himself? He killed himself, Chris. He was. Out, scot-free. He made Served it. his fucking time. And then kills himself. Good Isn't that fucking Lord. insane? Guilt. Did Maybe. Guilt do it? I don't know. What do you guys think? Why do you guys think Keith, after all this time, took his own life? You know, like, was it hard to find a job? Was he not making... You know, was the guilt of doing what he did getting to I'm him? I about to say, I don't know. The timing is a little suspect. It was a week after Williams. Exactly. So at this point, both people who are a part of this murder that were prosecuted Mm -hmm. are now gone. Mm -hmm. And Keith gets off basically in perspective, scot-free because he's out. Yeah, he spent he spent 10 years. Exactly. He spent 10 years in prison and And then he kills himself and then he fucking kills himself. Good Lord. Insane. So let us know what you guys think about that, because I really have no explanation. I have two short clips of both men, William and Dale, kind of talking about the murder from their own points of views. And if you want the full thing, go watch Violent Minds. Um, it's on oxygen. So here is William first. The fact is, I don't remember whose idea it was. Yeah. I remember this much. I remember it was on a Saturday afternoon, the Saturday afternoon before the crime took place. We got to rapping about robberies and crime and all this stuff. The subject of uh, stereo might have came into our uh, play since we were sitting there listening to the stereo. And uh, we had all been to the hi-fi shop before, uh, looking at stereo equipment. So we all knew this store. And we knew that it had a lot of good stuff in it. So Pierre went out and rented the uh, storage room that same Saturday afternoon. And uh, we planned that Monday to go in there at closing time, throw down on everybody, and 
climb up and take the equipment take the equipment i wish it was just about the equipment right you you didn't just take the equipment and saying all that he just admitted that they were really in cahoots planning and knew exactly what the fuck they were doing premeditating the robbery at least a hundred percent and then here is what dale had to say how did you happen to decide upon the hi-fi shop god i don't even know would you feel comfortable telling me uh the events as you do remember? I remember going downtown with Andrews. I remember him going up, up one street, coming down, and parking. I think we were going to the high-fire shop. I remember what it was called. I think it was called a high-fire shop. Was the idea just to go in and, and rob it then and leave? At that point, that's, that's, that's what I thought it was. You know, you're just going to go, go there, get the equipment and leave. Because he's so full of fucking I'm shit. Say, how you gonna sit there and lie? Lying hard as hell. Till the end, he was trying to manipulate and get people to think something that wasn't fucking true. If it was just the intent to go in there and take the equipment and leave, why did you have to go downstairs, mm-hmm. proceed to tie them up, proceed to rape and kill? You didn't have to do all that. Why did you bring the Drano? That's the first question. Why did you bring the Drano if you were just trying to rob? That You're part. full of shit. And then he's acting like he didn't know what the shop was called when they had been there multiple times. That's what I'm saying. Get this Negro the fuck out of here. I'm not mad he got the chair. He didn't take accountability up until the very fucking end. And yeah, fuck you, Dale. Mm -hmm. And also fuck you, William, because whatever. Yeah, you may have told semi the truth, but if you guys go watch the episode, they're still pointing the finger at each other, not taking responsibility for what really happened. And Dale is really just going to piss you off. Dr. Byron Nesbitt was alive when the two men were executed, but didn't attend either one. So he was the one that was the father of Courtney and the husband of Carol. Okay. He'd remarried, continued his work delivering babies until he retired and just continued on with his life. He said, quote, my life is going to go on. Hey, nobody's going to change that. But me, nobody period. That's giving some narcissist um, energy, but I ain't mad at it. I think the anger behind it is like, you thought that you were going to end my life by taking the most important things to me. And I'm going to prove to you. I'm still fucking here. Woof. I'm still kicking. Woof. That's strong. Mm-hmm. Courtney never attended the executions either, and despite the permanent damage to his mind and body, like I said, he was able to graduate, get married, but unfortunately, Courtney died in 2002 at the young age of 44. Wow. Mm-hmm. After his death, Courtney's father said, this is the end of the hi-fi story. I want this to be the end of it. Dang. And here we are talking about it. I'm sorry, Courtney's dad. I'm sorry. I get his pain. Mm-hmm. Like, he wants it to be over. Yeah. It's like the murders are still happening yeah. because it's still being brought up, still yep. being talked about. He sees it every time he sees Courtney. Yeah. Imagine the trauma that you go through just on a daily basis or on a yearly basis because the shit continues to be brought up. Yeah. Oren Walker died on February 13th, 2000, and he was 69 years old. Stanley's younger brother, the one that found their bodies, died in 2018. And Oren's wife and the boy's mothers died in 1995. Mm. Just so far. That whole family's gone. Yeah. Just like that. Sad as fuck. So that's our case for this week, you guys. Woo! Sheesh. Horrible. I hate covering cases where mass murder cases always get to me because I'm like, there's just so much evil involved in it 
that is expelled from one person at one time, yeah. you know? And so many lives are destroyed. It's yeah. just, it's really fucking sad. Yeah. This one irritates me because mm-hmm. I hate that it had to have been with the fact that there was actual real racism going on right. in the world. Right, And yeah. you couldn't detach that from this case. Exactly. Because it was, honestly, it was a part of this case. Yeah, because the minute, I mean, whether Dale and William felt mm-hmm. racist or felt prejudiced towards the white people. Right, and which that I think was they their, did a little bit. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that was their motivation for killing them. It could have started there, but honestly, we all know it started way back when. Yeah. And we're still dealing with that today. We still are. So just walking away from this case, you guys, please try to just love people, regardless of the color of their skin. And I know it may not be as easy as it sounds, but shit, that's what we're supposed to do. And if we want to be better than the people that created racism in this country in the fucking first place, we can't stoop down to their level. Yeah. And the very least you can do if you don't love them, mm-hmm. don't judge people mm-hmm. before you get to know who they are. Right. You know, um, test a man by the character that he has yeah. and not by the color of his skin. Yeah. There you go. So let us know what you guys thought about this week's case. We would love to know. And if you guys enjoy the show, please give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and even Facebook. It really helps us get the word out about the show. And yeah, as always, we love you. And before you go, be Be safe, protect protect your peace, and protect protect your space. space. So So we don't don't have to cover your case. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can stream all of our episodes on Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and even Facebook. It's the best way to help the show grow, and it's completely free. For bonus content, you can find us on Patreon. And for more information about the show, you can visit BlackTrueCrime.com. See you next time.